Today's reading from the Word of God comes from Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 31. Please follow along in your own Bibles on the screen behind me or listen as I read the scriptures. Once again, that's Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 31. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. At that time, children are invited to join Kids Rock through the door on your right. Hear the word of the Lord. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with, synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to date, debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see then that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and histories and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such, such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. My name is Gene. I am one of the pastors here at High Rock. It's part of our rhythm of worship to uh, sit in silence for a moment and set any distractions we, have, we may have brought with us. And, uh, you know, this, some of us might be carrying a lot, uh, either if it's personally or what's happening in the news or in our society. 
or uh, just what's happening in family. And so um, I would like to uh, invite you to sit in a moment of silence to set aside those distractions. At the same time, we can ask God to help us to be in a posture to receive God's word this morning. So after a moment of silence, I will go ahead and open us up in prayer. Gracious God, it is such a blessing to be in here to worship as one body and to recall, to remember your faithfulness from generation to generation. We thank you for this time where we can gather together and worship you. And may we uh, be encouraged for, um, today by, uh, from, this, from, from your word. May we be um, empowered to trust in the Holy Spirit. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. <clears throat> the last time I preached, I mentioned I went to San Jose State University for undergrad. Uh, I participated in a college ministry called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, or IV. Uh, my time with Ivy was impactful on my Christian faith journey. Uh, there were opportunities uh, to grow in prayer, uh, to learn to in uh, interpret scripture well, and to participate in outreach and evangelistic opportunities. Uh, Ivy had a community that helped me navigate through the complexities of life. And not only that, the Ivy staff leaders set aside time to invest in me and to shape me to be the person who I am today. Uh, though InterVarsity wasn't the only community that made an impact uh, in my faith, the local church also made a positive impact as well. I worshipped at a local Korean United Methodist church in a city next to San Jose. And each summer, the church helped out with youth retreats, uh, hosted vacation Bible school for the little ones, and had countless fellowship outings. But I do recall this one summer, a few friends from that church developed a heart to love and serve the homeless community. Uh, one of my church friends wanted to uh, serve folks living in the Tenderloin District in San Francisco. If you haven't heard anything about the Tenderloin District, it's all parts of a city that you, don't, uh, that you want to hide for any promotional material to attract tourists. Uh, this district is grungy. Garbage piles in street corners, used heroin needles, empty liquor bottles, and shopping carts full of personal possessions. The Tenderloin District hosts the life of drug trading, prostitution, crime, and homelessness. It's a really tough sight to see. And what's wild is that the Tenderloin District is only a 15-minute walk to reach the offices of major tech giants like Twitter and Uber. Uh, a nonprofit organization sits at the heart of the Tenderloin District called City Impact. This organization's mission is to intervene on behalf of the people of the Tenderloin. Pretty straightforward. Uh, the City, uh, City Impact achieves this mission by serving over 200 meals and groceries a day to, local uh, to, to their local community and providing health and wellness clinics for free or at reduced costs. My friends and I wanted to spend a Saturday morning there serving the community uh, in that part of San Francisco. And so we drove up and we met, uh, and that's where I met a family who was also serving at City Impact, a father and his daughter. Uh, this daughter was probably no older than 10 years old at the time. I introduced myself to the family and asked if they uh, volunteered with City Impact often. often. And the father re responded, most Saturdays. And I asked uh, if he consistently, consistently brought his uh, daughter with them. And he said, I try to bring her as often as I can. 
And the father most likely saw a look of shock on my face because the thought of bringing a child to the Tenderloin district seemed a little reckless. He recognized this and shared how he wanted to show his daughter that those living in this neighborhood were people too, or are people too. And most of them probably had a difficult or unfair lives, which forced them to live in this part of San Francisco. But at the end of the day, uh, they're people who, they are people who are loved by God like anyone else. Not only did this father teach this to his daughter in words, but he also wanted to show her in his actions. This left an impression on me. Uh, this father did not only want to teach his daughter about the values of the kingdom of God, but he wanted her to see it in action. He wanted to show her how the values of the kingdom of God can make an impact on the communities in the Tenderloin district. And not just the communities, but the culture within those communities. And this got me thinking. Uh, maybe some of us silo our Christian faith with the culture around us. We unintentionally keep them separated by living a dualistic lifestyle. Maybe some of us uh, are in a line of work where culture values working overtime. Uh, the more hours you put in, the more valuable you are as an employee. Uh, the work culture might communicate the idea of, uh, of what you put in determines your worth, a culture of meritocracy. Or maybe it's the family culture where, uh, where you have to be the best, where you have to outshine others, and it's every person for themselves. Or maybe we're just trying to, quote-unquote, keep up with the Joneses by filling our summer schedule with uh, sports activities, science camps, or music lessons. Uh, we want to pack our summer with as much extracurricular work or activities as much as we can uh, to make up for any of the lost uh, time from the previous years. And there's very little time for rest. Some of us might spend our time critiquing culture, whether it's behind a screen or a newspaper. Uh, we might make passing comments of judgment about the culture or let out a sigh of apathy because nothing has changed since the last occurrence of a similar event. Sometimes we see what culture is like somewhere and we keep uh, them at arm's length, just commenting or reacting with an emoji about the latest events there. What if God is inviting us to engage with culture that reflects how Jesus engaged with culture of his time? Loving the marginalized, providing food for the hungry, forgiving others, giving generously. How is God uh, equipping us to participate uh, in God's transformative work in our culture? And what does it look like for the Holy Spirit to use the church to transform our culture? Uh, this morning we are continuing our sermon series called In Good Spirit, Transformation in the Book of Acts. And this spring, uh, we're journeying through Acts and learning how the Spirit transforms our lives and the world around us. Uh, last week, Pastor Bryn helped us to see how the Holy Spirit transforms our allegiances. Uh, these allegiances aren't God and work or God and money, God and family or God and leisure, but our allegiance to God is to God alone. And this was a provocative claim because it went against the idea of having many allegiances during Jesus' day. Uh, if you recall, the Greco-Roman world was known to worship many gods and idols, of which the, Rome, uh, the emperor of Rome was one of the gods who demanded worship from his people. Jesus' claim uh, about the good news of the kingdom of God directly opposed the Roman emperor. 
And it's not the emperor who we ought to pledge allegiance to, but to Jesus alone. And we can see that this message pushed against the norms of the culture of that time. The good news of Jesus uh, Christ displayed a new way of life that welcomed the stranger, that loved the neighbor, and honored God. The culture was affected by the early Christians uh, then. And this morning, we're going to see a similar situation in Acts 17. And we're going to see how the Holy Spirit transforms our culture in a similar way. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open to Acts chapter 17. Uh, Before we jump into uh, into the passage that Tina read for us this morning, I would like to provide some context uh, of what's happening. Uh, Paul is on his second missionary journey, which spans from Acts 15 to Acts 18. He goes through different regions during his second uh, journey, making, uh, making sure he hits major cities like Antioch, Thessalonica, and Corinth. At these major cities, Paul intentionally enters into synagogues to share why Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. And sometimes he would stay at the synagogues for almost a month, teaching his fellow people about Jesus. But Paul doesn't spread the news about Jesus only at synagogues. He also interacts with Gentiles in the marketplaces. Since Paul has a trade of making tents out of animal skin, this provided him a convenient way to share about the risen Lord to his neighbors in the marketplaces. As Paul travels through the Greco-Roman world, he reaches Athens and waits to be reunited with his companions, Silas and Timothy. And he's, uh, he's waiting for his friends when he sees something about Athens that provokes him, that deeply disturbs him and shakes him to his core. Idols. The city is chock full of idols. And Paul probably sees idols like Ares, the god of war, or Athena, the god of wisdom, worshipped by lo- locals and travelers from neighboring cities. And Paul might, see, uh, might have seen people sacrificing uh, to these idols in temples or praying to them in public. Uh, Petronius, a Roman courtier, made a comment about the number of gods in Athens. He writes, Truly, our neighborhood is so well stocked with deities to hand, you will easier meet with a god than a man. You will easier meet with a god than a man. Idols were literally everywhere in Athens. And much like how we read or hear about headlines that elicit a visceral response, uh, Paul responds the same way, shock, distress, or angst. But Paul doesn't allow this reaction to pass by, nor does he stop, t- uh, stop at telling other shop owners about his outrage. He engages with the culture of Athens. And when he engages with this culture, he doesn't start by destroying idols found all over the city. He doesn't damage, damage property or cause havoc through violent actions. Paul speaks to the people in synagogues and in the city. He intentionally meets with both Jews and Gentiles and captures the listener's attention by sharing about God's grace. And as he tells about the risen Jesus, Epicureans and Stoic philosophers catch wind of Paul's strange message about Jesus and the resurrection. And I don't want to spend too much time on the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers, but it's worth mentioning a few distinct features about them. 
Uh, first, the Epicureans believe gods aren't spiritual, but made up of atomic compounds like the rest of the world. Uh, they pursued a life of good pleasure and avoided any uh, competition that may produce feelings of distress from jealousy or failure. Uh, the Sto Stoics also believe in, in the material world. Uh, they are inclined to have a, a deterministic outlook of life. Uh, or to put it in another way, uh, one's life was set on railroad tracks, and nothing can be done to deviate from those tracks. And similar to the Epicureans, the Stoics pursued a life of virtue and happiness. And this doesn't mean achieving the maximum amount of wealth or maintaining a healthy life uh, but it's about making right judgments according to reason. Happiness is about being content with what you have and being self-sufficient as much as possible for the Stoics. Both philosophies did not believe in some kind of afterlife or spiritual world, and only the material world exists and no life is beyond that. And so when they heard Paul's novel idea about Jesus and the resurrection, they mocked him. What is this babbler trying to say? What is this guy even talking about? And the term babbler is pretty much an insult because it implies that Paul doesn't know what he's talking about, but only heard this new idea through gossip. And so uh, they think Paul has no base, uh, basis of knowledge of understanding about this new concept. Uh, they think this guy is full of it, and so they just make fun of him. But they're also kind of intrigued. The idea of Jesus and the resurrection is so bizarre uh, that they want to bring him uh, to the Areopagus uh, uh, Council for further inv investigation. When Paul stands before the Areopagus uh, Council, he tactfully finds common ground with his Greek audience so that his preaching would make sense to them. Paul appeals to his audience by identifying God's providence demonstrated uh, by God's marking appointed time in their history. And, a belief, uh, and this is a belief that the Stoics would have much agreed with because of their deterministic views. He even quotes uh, from philosophers that his audience would be familiar with, like the Stoic philosopher Aratus. Uh, finding points of commonality aids Paul's audience to understand that he's not some buffoon spewing out nonsense. There's actual stuff, substance to Paul's ideas. He's not preaching to these people like they're all Jewish like he is. He's, he's stepping into their world and their experiences and preaching to them in ways that they would hear it well. He establishes his credibility by finding common ground with his audience and cont uh, through contextualized preaching. But Paul doesn't stop there. He points out differences uh, between his belief and the beliefs of the, of the, of the council that he's, uh, that's before him. Paul unashamedly critiques them about their misunderstanding of God living in temples built by human hands. And these shrines and statues made up of gold and silver aren't housing units for God. It's silly to think that God, this omniscient and sovereign being, can be contained within human-made uh, human objects. But the biggest difference between Paul and the Aerogopagus uh, Council is life after death. The idea of the resurrection is so absurd to the Epicureans and Stoics. They mock Paul for presenting such a, a foolish thought. And despite of the ridicule from the council, Paul still engages with the culture of his time. 
Paul is so well informed about the philosophies of his day. He's aware of, of the current discussions and debates, and he engages with it. And I think what's super fascinating and super important is that Paul doesn't start nor finish by condemning them. He doesn't stand at arm's length and tell them, hey, you do you, and I'll just kind of do my thing. He doesn't burn statues or temples to demonstrate his righteousness and the pagans' sinfulness. But he interacts with the Athenian culture by craftily contextualizing his faith to non-believers. And he understands the conversation of his time. I mean, Paul points out of his, uh, points, finds points of his culture where he generally agrees with and identifies places he disagrees with and peacefully shares with their understand, uh, where their understandings of life and philosophy might differ. And Paul's ministry isn't the only one that engages with its culture. Uh, this is also demonstrated by the early church. Um, three separate people recommended that I read The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And oh boy, this is such a fantastic read. Uh, the premise of the book unpacks the question of how the early church grew in the first 400 years despite all of the hardships and harassment and persecution it faced. At first, I thought the Christians back then were uh, strategic uh, in their outreach opportunities, or maybe they devised a multi-step plan to in, uh, engage with the people by knocking on their doors and telling them about Jesus. I couldn't be any more wrong. Uh, Christians of the early church rubbed shoulders with their neighbors. I mean, there was very little privacy back then, so it was common to bump into your neighbor regularly. And they didn't live in isolated uh, Christian communities. Uh, they lived amongst non-believers and loved them as Christ loved them. When Christians heard a neighbor was sick, uh, they prayed for that neighbor whether or not that person believed in the same thing that they did. Or when Christians learned of a neighbor's need, they would try to provide uh, for that person's need. Or Christian business owners would conduct their business as ethically as possible by not swindling their customers, which was not always the case uh, in those days. Others would care for the poor with food and physical aid when the rest of society disregarded or ignored them completely. Christians in the early church grew because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit transformed their lives to love their neighbors as God loved them in real and tangible ways. Eventually, non-believers non started to become curious about these Christians and their, their different lifestyle. They wanted to know more about, uh, about these Christians, just like how the Athenians wanted to know about, Paul, about Paul's message of the resurrected Jesus. Uh, Christians of the early church did these things in the 3rd and 4th centuries, so like a super long time ago. What does it look like for the Holy Spirit to transform our culture today? Uh, a few months ago in May, there was a fire in an apartment building on Hancock Street in Salem. Uh, this fire was large enough to displace a handful of individuals and families. A former high rocker knew of an individual who lost almost all of his belongings and had to find temporary housing. Uh, uh, this former high rocker asked if our church can assist this person displaced by this tragic event. And so I connected with this person affected by the fire, and we, ha uh, we connected over lunch, and I got to hear more about his story 
and how the church can support him in this difficult time. And he was vulnerable uh, about how difficult it was losing most of his possessions from the fire. Now, on top of that, finding affordable housing on several challenge, uh, added several challenges to his already difficult situation. I reassured him that the church can support him, and the state uh, offered housing opportunities for individuals uh, in a crisis like his. And a few days later, I sent him uh, housing resources provided by the state so that he can start applying uh, for housing. And because of the church's radical giving to the Benevolence Fund, he was able to receive a uh, Stop and Shop gift card that covered at least a week worth of groceries. Friends, God is using our church to make an impact uh, on our culture. A former high rocker reached out to our community asking if we can support this individual displaced by an apartment fire because the church embodies a culture that loves and serves our neighbors. A neighbor uh, from our community was able to experience the love of Christ through our church. Our church embodies a culture that values curiosity, hospitality, and solidarity. And at some point, we either experienced or lived out curiosity by connecting with each other in life groups and sharing each other's life stories or just catching up during soul food. We've experienced or lived out hospitality when inviting friends or family uh, over to our homes for dinner. We've experienced or lived out solidarity by supporting those who are in need or standing uh, with others to fight against racism. Our church culture lives out these values, not because it's the right thing to do, but these values come from Scripture. Scripture informs us about who God is and how God redeems our world. The Scriptures are full of stories of Jesus loving his neighbor and how children are valued and accepted, how sinners and tax collectors are welcomed to the dinner table, and how the outcasts are embraced. All of this is demonstrated by Jesus. And because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, conquering sin, death, and shame, we too can, uh, can love God and love our neighbors well. Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit after uh, he ascends to heaven. And God's people can live a new life of being a blessing to others through the Holy Spirit. And as simple as it sounds, we can start uh, this process of transforming our culture by starting from Scripture. As we read the Bible, we can ask ourselves, how does God demonstrate love? Or Or how does Jesus respond to a person when he or she approaches him? Or what does it look like to love our neighbors? Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you these things. Invite the Holy Spirit to explore these questions Um, as you read through uh, the scriptures by yourself or in community. And as you're doing that, ask God uh, to see these answers not only in the Bible, but also in our communities, whether it's in our life groups, our family, our friend groups, or at church. And specifically at church, through the Spirit, we embody these values of hospitality, curiosity, and solidarity. Ask God to help you to experience these values at church, but don't let uh, the faith journey uh, or the faith growth stop there. Ask God to uh, embody these things at school or at the workplace or in your neighborhood. 
God will definitely use us to impact our culture of our workplace and neighborhood as we depend on the Holy Spirit to love and serve others. Be encouraged, church. God is with us and using us to transform our culture through word and deed. And I pray we continue to uh, be receptive to the direction of the Holy Spirit as we spend time in God's word and as we engage in the communities God has placed us in. Let's pray. God, help us to be receptive to your spirit. Help us to listen to you as we venture through the scriptures and learning how you love us, how you show mercy and grace, and how you deserve our worship. But I also pray that you may uh, lead us into the spaces of uh, where our community is at whether it's our neighbors and helping our neighbors um, raking leaves or picking up trash around their uh, front yard, or if it's just engaging in a, cam- a casual conversation um, when passing by their, uh, their house, or if it's in our workplaces that values uh, being overworked or just uh, putting in so many hours, Guide us into places where we can um, love on them and and comfort them and remind them that rest is important. Equip us, O God, to engage our culture through word and deed. Pray this in your son's name.